Welcome to the Root and Remedy podcast, where we discuss all things women's health, hormones, fertility, and body confidence. I'm your host, Vanessa, a woman's health and fertility nutritionist and the co-founder of Root and Remedy Wellness. You can find our courses, free community group, and all other resources at rootandremedywellness.com. I am absolutely in love with today's episode because this is one of the most, if not the most, raw, real, and honest conversations that I've had on the podcast about women's health, fertility, our reproductive health in general, and our access to care. And I absolutely loved interviewing Tiana because she was so open about her own fertility journey and the process that she's going through that you will just feel heard. You'll feel seen. You will feel supported. You will be able to take a breath of fresh air and and almost laugh at our misfortune when it comes to the terrible education we're given around our bodies, our cycles, hormones, fertility, basically just how to navigate life in general and how to take care of ourselves long-term. We are taught literally nothing. And if you listen to the podcast or you follow me on Instagram, you know I'm all about being your own health advocate, doing your own research, but sometimes it's exhausting and we just wish we got better care. So Tiana and I really dive into that together. And if you don't know who Tiana is, she is the creator and brand partnerships manager at Ovary, which is honestly one of my favorite companies that I've come across in the past year. They are a Canadian reproductive care company, and I love that they focus so much on improving overall accessibility and providing just more sustainable options for pregnancy and ovulation tests. Because number one, pregnancy tests are like 30, 40 bucks a pop at shoppers or your local drugstore. And then ovulation tests or LH tests are often made in China and they are not very accurate. So I love that they're number one, reducing cost, which is such a beautiful thing to see. And it just makes it more accessible to people, but also improving accuracy as well. So I couldn't love the company more in general. And then especially Tiana, I absolutely loved interviewing her because she was just so open about her own fertility journey that you feel very heard, very seen. You feel like you're talking to a friend about what they're going through and it is just very comforting to hear somebody's story. You'll, you're going to take a deep breath a bunch of times throughout the episode and be like, okay, that's not just me. That's not just me. Sometimes you're going to get fired up and be like, what the hell? Why are we going through this? Oh, this is so frustrating for us to experience as women and people trying to get pregnant or just people trying to learn about their bodies. There's a lot that we don't share that goes behind the, on behind the scenes. And there's a lot of overwhelm too in the women's health, fertility, reproductive care education realm where it can feel very, very, very overwhelming and it can feel like way too much. You're focusing on everything all at once. You're terrified about clean products, supplements, food, exercise. Are you doing everything perfectly? Are you not doing anything that is going to harm you in any way? It can feel just very heavy overall. So we not only talk about how to be your own health advocate and some genuine steps and tips and things that you can very easily implement and start doing that are going to move the needle when it comes to taking care of your body, learning about your reproductive health, your hormones, why you should even care about your fertility if you're not trying to get pregnant. There's, I, I essentially call this the education you should have gotten in school, right? This is kind of a subset of that when it comes to learning about your body, advocating for your own health and your own care. And also 
trusting the process, knowing that everybody's journey is completely different, where you're, whether you're trying to get pregnant, you're not trying to get pregnant, you're somewhere in between, or maybe you've been on a fertility journey for a really long time. There's a lot of beautiful reframes Tiana gives and a lot of insight as someone who is over a year into her fertility journey. I absolutely love hearing what has been helping her in keeping a positive mindset throughout all of this and these little changes that we can make so we're not so hard on ourselves and we're not doubting ourselves and second guessing and essentially getting the power taken away from us. We are taking the power back into our own hands. We're advocating, we're standing strong in what we believe and what we know to be true in understanding and really listening to our bodies. And I just could not love this conversation more because these are things that we need to be talking about with each other, with ourselves. We have to be considering them. And I know, I just know, you're gonna love this episode as much as I do. So let's get into it. Tell us about your story and what has gotten you so passionate about women's health and fertility and just reproductive health education in general that's brought you to where you are today. Yeah, I think like a lot of people in this space, I was brought to it due to my own personal story. So I have a history of painful periods and I've worked with naturopathic doctors on my hormone imbalances. Um, that real that transition, I think a lot of us go through of coming off hormonal birth control and then reintroducing ourselves to our natural cycle is one that, you know, there's a lot that happens in that time. So yeah, definitely going through the hormonal changes and working with a practitioner to go through my hormones and understand um, what's at play was really important. And then into where I'm at now, which is on my own fertility journey. So in that experience, I've I've really come to realize that like my period pain is not normal, <laughs> which I think is like a hot topic right now, right? That understanding oh, yeah. that we are not meant to have this amount of period pain that a lot of us just live with. And so I kind of went down this deep road of working on my period pain and wasn't getting a lot of relief, to be honest, with um, some of the natural supplements. And um, we did some natural, uh, sorry, we did some testing to test the hormones um, and work from there. But in my experience now in the fertility journey, it was through my um, fertility doctor that I was actually able to get an endometriosis diagnosis, which is something that I have felt in my being for a long time was the case. And I had an unfortunate experience with uh, my female GP, which, you know, I think so many of us like have finding that female GP just feels like the saving grace. And it can be, it can be an amazing experience to have um, a female practitioner, but at the same time, it also isn't the fix all. So in my case, it was, you know, during the pandemic, I had a really, really awful bout of period pain that left me, you know, nauseous and <laughs> on the toilet in the middle of the night. It was absolutely horrible. And in my head, I had that moment where I was like, I think this is one of those times where I should tell my doctor about this. <laughs> like, this seems bad. I think as women, we're, <laughs> yeah, this seems bad. And I think as women, we tend to um, play down our pain, to play down our experiences. And this was one for me where I was like, yeah, no, I think I need to say something. And unfortunately, in bringing that to her, I was very much dismissed. I was told that my option was to go on hormonal birth control and kind of a little bit shamey in that like, well, why wouldn't you just do that? If you could live without pain and have that option, then why wouldn't mm -hmm. you go ahead and do that? 
And that was just not acceptable to me. I'd worked <laughs> too hard to come off hormonal birth control, had been living with my natural cycle for many years um, in a committed relationship. It just, it wasn't an option for me. And I pushed um, asking to get testing done in case I had any sort of cysts or I just, I wanted investigation. I wanted diagnostic tools to be used in this case. And uh, I was mm. denied that. So it wasn't until I actually went to the fertility clinic and said, I suspect I have endo. Is there anything you can do to help me or confirm that? And even with a vaginal ultrasound, um, which is not a conventional way of diagnosing endometriosis, but um, my doctor at the time was like, okay, well, if it's on your ovaries, uh, we'll, we should be able to see something with the wand. And, you know, sure enough, it was just an immediate like, yep, there they are. I can confidently diagnose you with endometriosis. And I, the reality is, though, that changed nothing, right? I was already living with mm-hmm. this. <laughs> I already knew it was like there. Like your symptoms go away because you're like, oh, I know what I have. I'm cured. Like there's still a whole process to follow. Exactly. So that was really affirming. And also there was a lot of grief involved too in knowing that intuitively I knew that that was the case. I had asked for help from my GP. I was denied it. And that was a two years lapsed in that time period. So um, it wasn't until I was on my conception journey and seeing a fertility doctor that I was able to get that confirmation. And I do feel in ways that I was robbed of those two years that I could have been spending on treating my endometriosis potentially. Um, because as I've learned now, it's really difficult to treat endo symptoms and any sort of hormonal imbalances while also trying to conceive. <laughs> it's kind of one or the other. What's so frustrating is the story that you're telling. I know so many people are like me too. And you, you don't know what to do when you're feeling dismissed because you're not confident enough a lot of the time to push back because you're, you're actually like, I don't know. It's a feeling, it's a hunch, but I can just tell something's wrong, but you're like, I'm not the doctor. So clearly the doctor or the practitioner, whoever, oh, they're, they're going to diagnose me if there's anything there. And if not, sometimes I'm just batshit crazy. And they're like, go home, take a Xanax and you'll be fine. Or like try to lessen your stress or eat more vegetables. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God. And sometimes I'll hear stories, like you said, about the even getting a female doctor sometimes is a a step in the right direction. But sometimes they also don't give the care that you need. And sometimes it's really not a fault of their own. They just are, again, not trained to look for these certain things. A lot of the time with chronic conditions or things like endometriosis or hormonal imbalances, it's really hard to get the diagnosis and the care. And like you said, we are always dismissed. I think they actually came out with statistics for endometriosis. I don't know if if you know these better than I do, but I think they said it it took almost 10 tries, (laughs) 10 bringing it up, getting a second opinion to actually get a confirmation of endometriosis, which is unbelievable when you think about the ER level pain you experience every single month, the throwing up, the passing out, the nausea. It's If you were to experience that in any other realm, you would be sent to the emergency room pretty much right away. But because you experienced it on your period, people are like, mm, welcome to being a girl. Like, sucks to suck. It's so true. It's actually 10 years, not 10 times. It's 10, 10 years is the average oh diagnosis rate for endometriosis Mm-mm. at this point, which is not acceptable. How long, if you don't mind sharing with us, you said you came off birth control. You've been now focusing on optimizing the fertility. You're on that conception journey. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about what that journey has just been like for you in general and kind of where you're at right now for someone who is resonating with what you're saying? Maybe they also have endometriosis or some kind of other condition where they're trying to manage both at the same time and hopefully start a family. Yes, for sure. I feel like it has been such a journey for me Uh, in ways I am grateful that I have started my body literacy and experience with working with my cycle and my hormones prior to trying to conceive because they all interact, right? So it's really about laying the groundwork beforehand until you're ready to conceive. Like there's so many ways you can go about it, but it does really help if you start now. (laughs) If you are, and by now, I mean, if you're not trying to conceive, um, getting an understanding your body at this level is so important. Yeah, so where I'm at right now is I am months into my trying to conceive journey, which I think is not often talked about. I think people generally don't talk about fertility, pregnancy, trying to conceive until they have conceived. And even then, they wait the three months in order to talk about it publicly. And of course, there's all sorts of reasons for that. I do think, though, that the tide is shifting in that regard. And I think we're missing out on too much vital information in the form of like peer support and community when we wait to talk about our fertility journeys until after they've happened because there's so many people in our direct communities, our larger communities who can benefit from hearing these stories. And so that's why I'm really passionate about speaking about my journey and showcasing what it actually can be like, because for everyone, it's going to be different. Some people might conceive within the first month. That is not normal. I will just preface that. I think that a lot of us assume that based on, you know, the experience that we have as a teenager going through the, you know, the health sex ed system, there's so much fear mongering around getting pregnant and how easy it is. And there's there's just extremes. There's room for that, but then there's also the reality that a lot of us are waiting until later in our lives to get pregnant. And by later, I mean 30s. This is not 40 plus. This is just not trying to get pregnant at 22, like maybe previous generations have done. And so there's this lack of education understanding that it's not necessarily a given (laughs) that when you decide you want to get pregnant, that you can get pregnant. And Mm -hmm. it's not that they're telling us that at the beginning, but they're by like negative reinforcement telling us that we will get pregnant if we're not careful. And so therefore the mindset is like, well, if we are careful, as in if we are trying and actively participating in this, then it should be easy. And the reality is it's not always easy. Some people conceive right away. I think it's like, 30% of couples trying to conceive, conceive in the first month, that's very low. That's not a high percentage. (laughs) And then it moves on from there. So, you know, into three months, six months, nine months. And the reality is it it can take six months, nine months, 12 months plus. I'm currently in the 12 months plus. And I think the reality is that nobody ever thinks that that's going to be them. And that's been a humbling part of the journey is going through that and realizing, okay, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> there's there's obviously things at play. And I think with conception, that's a big part of the story is there's so many things that we can do to try and impact our fertility. And we should when we have the option to. And it's also just a literal miracle every single time conception happens. The percentage of chances of conceiving any given month when trying is around 12 to 15%. <laughs> 
<laughs> so low. Oh my God. So low. And then you think you multiply that over months and one year is 12 different times that you have the opportunity to try. Mm-hmm. And if you only have a 15% chance of conceiving each time that you try, it makes sense that this might take a while and that, you know, some mindset just might not work out. Or maybe you or your partner's traveling for work one month and you can't try. So, I mean, I, that has also happened for me. I've taken breaks. I think that's also a really important aspect to talk about when trying to conceive is this managing expectations and thinking about from the beginning, okay, what if it took 12 months? What if it took longer than that? And really being proactive about how, what, what safeguards, what things do I want to put in place so that when I hit that marker, then I can worry about the next thing. Cause there's just so much to think about. There's so much to worry about. And I don't think that anyone should go in feeling like they have to do like this extensive education. But I do think it is really helpful and supportive to think about when is the next time you're going to check in with yourself or check in with you and your partner and see what steps might need to be taken because not everyone needs to go see a fertility doctor right away. (laughs) Even for myself with my endo diagnosis or suspecting endo at the time, I knew that that was an opportunity for me to go and like basically with endo, they tell you that you could go and see a fertility specialist right away when you're trying to perceive. So after six months, I was kind of like, you know what? I want, I'd love to have a confirmation. I'd love to have a diagnosis around this. And I also just want to check in. So don't be afraid to, to reach out to a fertility clinic to get that information, to have those tests done. For me, it was really informative because all of my labs came back normal. There was nothing that needed to be addressed. It was more, you know, you can keep on trying. There's more time for this. And when you get to a point, if you get to a point where you haven't conceived um, without assistance, we have things we can do to help you with that. So it's great to know your options. Right. They've got tools. They've got a plan. 100%. And I just, I could not love it more that you're so many times saying it's going to be unique to you. No one thinks that it's going to be them that struggles. You hear about it all the time and you're like, oh, it's so unfortunate. Even if it's your sister or your best friend or someone, you're like, sucks for them. But you're never thinking, what if that's me? It's, It's kind of until it actually happens, you don't think it's really a possibility, even though logically you do know it's a possibility. Unfortunately, sometimes even becoming a probability depending on your predisposition, any chronic conditions, any type of um, hormonal issues or or et cetera, endometriosis, PCOS, et cetera. But I just, I love that you are speaking so strongly on the point that everybody's journey is completely different. You do not have to feel like you have everything figured out and everything together and it's your way or the highway and you know all the education. But at the same time, it's also sometimes doing us a disservice to not do any education or to not focus on anything. It's kind of like you have to find that happy medium where it doesn't make you want to die and overwhelm (laughs) and stress you out. And you're like, oh my God, I can't even eat a cracker because now I'm scared of chemicals or whatever, carbs, or what if I put this lotion on my body? Like, am I going to make myself infertile? There's so much. I I even had a discovery call with a client this week Mm -hmm. and she was like, am I allowed to lift weights? Because I saw that if you lift more than a jug of milk, that's bad. And I was like, oh my God, like we are just overwhelming women and menstruators and people trying to get pregnant way too much, way, 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 way too much. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. And of course we understand why, because everyone's trying to sell you their program and their products and their supplements and whatever. But I just love that you're speaking so honestly, like 
preparing, maybe, okay, what would I do if it took me over a year? Am I prepared to be trying for over a year? How can I make sure I'm setting my mental health up as well as my physical health over this pregnancy journey? Because and we're going to talk about this later. I've got so many questions for you with regards to that as you're in the thick of it and saying, I'm 12 months plus, here's how I've been handling my stress and my yes. overwhelm. And that it's honest, the two week wait. And that sometimes I'm devastated when I get my period. Oh, I just, I just could not love this conversation more. So <laughs> you talked a few, you mentioned kind of a few things already that are quite frankly, unacceptable in women, in women's health. And anyone that listened to the podcast or listens to the podcast knows, like we harp on this all the time, how we are very underserved. We're not necessarily pointing fingers. It's kind of just a systematic problem, but can you walk us through some of the misconceptions you see around women's health and fertility? And we're going to get into queer health and fertility as well, but I want to start with, with women's health in general. Yeah, I mean, I think it really, again, comes back to where our health and sexual education starts, which is in school. And that looks that looks so different for so many people. And I'd be very curious of what the current school systems are teaching now. I suspect it's a little bit better, but still probably not the best. And where I really see the gap is, is after that. So we leave our high school education where we got our very limited sexual health education and then we're just thrust into the real world. And that's where there's this huge gap between that and then this fertility conversation of trying to conceive. So like where, where in between do we get our information from? And the reality is like our, our healthcare system is not set up. Like you said, it's not about pointing fingers. It's about looking at it systematically and seeing that it is flawed in that way. Our healthcare system is not set up to support people's education around their sexual health and their just bodies in general. I think our reproductive system really speaks to so many other systems as well. And so I really see that there's a lack of time. Like so many people can't even find a GP that they can, like they have to go to a walk-in clinic. If you have to go to a walk-in clinic, you're not going to go there to be like, oh, um, yeah, I just was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how I ovulate. Like that that just intrinsically, we know how, how much stress is on our healthcare system. Like it, people will not go for that. There's to take the time out of your day to book that appointment, to probably have to take time off of work, to have 10 minutes with a practitioner. And that it's just not going to happen. And that's the reality of it. So I really see that there's this huge gap in opportunity for all of these different aspects of healthcare to come together and work kind of in like a women's healthcare hub is what I would love to see in the future. Even when we're talking about um, the medical system as it is, like you have to book a separate appointment to get your pap test. You have to set, book a separate appointment to talk about your birth control options. You have to, you know, eventually do um, breast screenings. And the fact that all of these are separate, they do not talk to each other. Um, I mean, when we talk about nutrition and how much our digestive system impacts our fertility and back and forth, none of these things are linked. And so I think that if we had an opportunity to have these different aspects of health all talking to each other and we could provide a hub where women could come and, you know, experience that in one fellow swoop, there could be pop-ups. Um, this is something that Jackie, the owner of Ovary, often talks about is this idea of, of having these hubs, of having these potential spots where women and menstruating folks can come and get all of their testing in one place. That to me is true accessibility. That would be amazing. Oh my, sign me up for one of those. Sign me up for one of those. <laughs> yes. I want that. I want that. 
So you mentioned we have got a huge gap in education, also very slim resources and places to get it, even if we feel like we're missing it. But I, I think another problem I'm hearing you say too is that sometimes we don't even know we're missing it because no one's, you don't know what you don't know. No one is saying, hey, yes. by the way, the school system hasn't really told you what you need to know. Go over here to learn. It's just, I think I always think of Coach Car from Mean Girls. Don't have sex, you'll get pregnant and die. Like I just always think <laughs> yes. that is it. That's it. It's like, see you later. You're an idiot if you're not on birth control and then just come up birth control when you're ready, ready to get pregnant. Try to have sex on day 14 and like see you never. Bye-bye. Sounds good. Like there's Absolutely. zero education. So I really love that you're speaking to the point of systematically we need to see change. And oh my God, what I love that hub. I, I yeah. feel like we could create something like that. That yeah. sounds fantastic. <laughs> but are there any other misconceptions that you see that you think someone may accidentally be struggling with or we see just as a societal problem? Well, I think there's also, when we talk more about fertility and again, getting closer to trying to conceive this idea again of like <laughs> teenager, you're doomed, like you're going to get pregnant if you're not careful. And then the opposite extreme is this, once you hit 35, your fertility is done, like good freaking luck trying to get pregnant. And I just don't believe that that extremes are helpful. <laughs> we need to be having more nuanced conversations about that. Of course, yes, fertility does decline with age. We absolutely know that. And it's a very real factor in a lot of people's journeys right now. And things don't just happen the day that you turn 35, which is kind of how it's prescribed and talked about in the fertility space a lot of the time. And I think that we need to open up space for nuance. So a person's journey, again, is so unique to them. So looking at their predisposed conditions, looking at their lifestyle, what kind of uh, nutrition, lifestyle, you know, working out all the different aspects that come together to like form the constitution of a person is really important. Um, and then we can really from there start to understand how this unique person might be predisposed to fertility struggles or not, because a lot of people conceive still very easily after 35 or at 34 or at 33. Like there just isn't this extreme drop off in the way that it is shown to us, basically. Exactly. There, there is almost these two extremes. Either the fertility continues and you can just freeze your eggs and then use I or do IVF later, use some kind of assistance or you're completely infertile. It's kind of like, don't worry at all because you can have kids until you're 50 or you better have them before 35 or you will never have children. Like, yes. and it's, it's extra unhelpful because you'll say, oh, well, this celebrity had a, her baby at 47 or at 42 or 35, yes. but her body is not your body. Their body is not your body. Their fertility is not your fertility. Even no. so my mom, for example, she had four kids in five years. But she started when she was 35. Her. Yeah. Bless my freaking mother. So she had me when she was 40. Oh, so, which is amazing. And, and so cool. I think is so incredible. So genetically, I'm like, great. But I wouldn't, I'll never think, oh, okay, no worries. I can wait until I'm 40 because my mom, even my own mother had mm -hmm. me when she was 40. That's still something you have to consider. And I love that you're speaking to this, that everybody's fertility is different. Everybody's journey is going to be different. And this is where we can have so much more education saying in in your 20s, checking on your fertility. In your yes. early 30s, checking on your fertility. This is something that I'm so passionate about. If you want to wait, 
make sure that you can afford to wait because no one is telling us to do that. And it's an uncomfortable conversation. So we're just skirting it completely. And then on the end of it, we're done the greatest disservice of all if you cannot have children and you've wanted children. That is the most devastating place to be. So I just, I, I love, I can just think of someone listening to this being like, oh my God, finally, I'm, I'm kind of being heard and someone is, is in a similar position to me. So we talked a little bit about the women's health and fertility misconceptions. I want to hear you speak a little bit more on queer reproductive health and just the LGBTQ plus community, because this is something very new to me in the sense that I don't work with a lot of queer clients. So I would love to hear you speak on their experience and what you're seeing in uh, gaps in healthcare for them as well, and just reproductive health in general. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at Ovary, it is really important to us that we are inclusive and inclusive to us looks at like a lot of different things. It looks like inclusive of people's experiences. So being a pregnancy test company, we are here for people who are looking for their positive, who are trying to conceive. And we're also here for people looking for a negative because they really, really don't want to get pregnant at this time in their life. And that's the reality, right? There's a lot of people out there for, you know, probably 80% of their reproductive years who are looking for a negative. So we are very much welcoming and acknowledging of that experience. And then, of course, we also are inclusive to our queer folks, our queer community, and understanding their needs in this, especially in the fertility space. I think that's like one of the number one things I'm seeing right now is just the lack of representation and conversation and accessibility for queer folks who are trying to build their families. What do you typically see when it comes to the conversation we're having when it, in the sense of the disservice that's being done, do you feel like we're not involving them in the conversation when it comes to anatomy or hormones or the process, or do you just feel like their voices are not considered? Where are we kind of dropping the ball? Mm, That's a good question. I mean, I'm not queer myself, so I cannot speak to it from a personal standpoint. From what I've seen in our community, I would say that they are left out of the conversation a lot of the time. And that is body literacy is for everyone. Everyone deserves to know about their body depending on however it looks for them. So I think having more representation in practitioners, having more literacy um, for queer folks and their bodies from practitioners is really important because as we are discussing right now, there's not a lot of um, support for women and femme bodies, but also for our queer folks as well. There just really isn't the support and the education trickling down in order to support them in their journeys. And then when it comes to the fertility space in particular and trying to conceive so much of the trying to conceive journey um, that we see around education and what is shared on social media is with the cis hetero couple. It's not showcasing what queer folks are going through in building their families. We see it a little bit in the fertility um, clinic space because for the you know for a lot of queer folks they do have to look at reproductive assistance in order to build their families so the fertility clinics are definitely uh, catering to them a bit, but I think even then we could still be doing more. So at Ovary, we've been working on this program that I'm really excited to share about, and it is an initiative where we will be giving away one free box of ovary to any queer Canadian couple who's on their journey to conceive, because it just doesn't sit right with us that they, from the start, deal with additional barriers in their path to parenthood. So we really want to 
be and see the change and be a part of the change in providing more accessible healthcare and options for our queer family. I love it. And I I love what you said about, you can't necessarily speak to personal experience, but that doesn't take you or us or anybody in the fertility space out of the equation. We also have to be here to help amplify those voices. Even if it's not a personal voice, we still have to be part of the conversation. So if someone is in that, that place and they're like, I'm queer. I want to be where I'm working on my fertility journey. I am starting to dip my toes into this world. How can they um, be a part of the, this initiative? Is this launching soon? Is it just on your website? Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So this is an ongoing initiative. This is not just a standalone campaign. So in the giving back section of our website, we have a couple different programs in which we give back and this is the latest one. So this will be um, for again, queer Canadian couples who are looking to conceive and they can just literally input their shipping information and it's really plain and simple. We'll send you a box. That's it. Amazing. So we talked a little bit about the women's health, the queer health and reproductive health just in general as kind of this overall spectrum. Obviously we're getting incredibly terrible advice just typically (laughs) when it comes to our education and where to actually find these resources. And now I think people are getting a better sense of, okay, there are things like this podcast, social media, that that is actually really good quality information where we're trying to be the rising tide that lifts all boats, so to speak, no matter what group you're in or or what your gender identity is. But I want to talk a little bit more about accessibility because I know that's something that you and I are are really frustrated about and, and trying to move forward in forms of social media, obviously you at Ovary and everything you guys are doing with giving back, but also even just your products in general. And of course the education that you're putting out, but can you talk to us a little bit about the biggest accessibility blocks that you see when it comes to us getting the care, the resources, and the direction that we need to be taking charge of our fertility and our reproductive health in general? Yeah. I mean, I think it's about knowing where to look. The fact that we have to self-advocate is a reality. So we can't rely on, again, these, the healthcare system to support us. They don't, they're not going to anticipate our needs. Like they are there for acute help and we need to be able to know what the parameters are in place in order to know when we need to seek that. So again, this idea of body literacy is so important. I feel like so many of us live from the neck up when it comes to understanding ourselves, our bodies. And there's really this shift that's happening and understanding that how empowering it can be to talk about body literacy, to understand our own bodies, what's going on, so that we then have the parameters, we understand what is, again, normal for us, because normal looks different for everyone. And the only way that you can understand what is normal for you and what is not is to start tracking, to start understanding what is, what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. You mentioned body literacy a few times. Can you explain what that term is for someone that hasn't heard that before? Yeah, body literacy is just a deeper understanding of your body and knowing what's happening in your body and how it relates to your health and well-being, so to speak. So if we don't know what is happening in our body, if we don't understand how ovulation works, how our menstrual cycle works, um, how are we ever to know that there might be something off or there might be something that could be you know, changed? And I think that's where, again, we have to take the power back in a sense, which 
again, I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think that it should should be that way, but that is the reality of it is that it is kind of on us to do our own homework with not only like understanding our own bodies, but then also what is available to us out there. And so I think that is the work that both of us are trying to do is to increase accessibility through education. So really understanding what is at play here? What what are what body signals am I getting right now? For example, fertility in that space, ovulation is yes, it's a marker of fertility, but it's also a marker of overall health. So if you are not ovulating, that means that there might be something else going on in your endocrine system. And that's something that is worth looking into. So if you don't get a period, if you are not ovulating, this is goes so far beyond just your fertility. And I think a lot of people, again, if they're not trying to conceive, they're not necessarily thinking about that. They're like, oh, well, yeah, I just like I haven't got my period in six months. And like, mm-hmm. oh, well, like, <laughs> but it's the reality like is sweet. I don't have to deal with my period. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which I mean, of course, on one hand, that is kind of nice. But it also isn't nice to know that your body isn't functioning in the way that it's designed to. So there's mm-hmm. definitely something to double click on there. And like, maybe we should book some appointments and look into yes. this. It's also, I find really frustrating that we're not told when we're on birth control as most of us are. So over 60% of us, even on birth control are on it for in, independent of just talking about preventing pregnancy. We're on it for heavy, painful periods. We're on it for mental health issues. We're on it for weight gain, acne, so many different things. Or even because you never got a period, they'll put you on birth control, which I will not even get into because that's way too much. Make it make sense. Yeah, I know. For real. So something that I think is also so important that we know that again, we're never, I wish we were just given a little brochure being like, here's how birth control is working. Here's some pros, here's some cons. You make your decision. That would be great. I'm just talking about a tiny little eight and a half by 11. Doesn't have to be anything crazy. But so many of us, I I had no idea that I wasn't getting a real period, that I was not ovulating on birth control. I thought that the bleed I was getting on birth control was a true period. Like how, how could you ever know the difference? Right. And, and I'll even, I noticed this with discovery calls and this is why I really enjoy working one-on-one with people because sometimes I forget what it's like to be coming off birth control for the first time, you know? And because I'm just, this is my whole world. I love it so much. It's literally my job to love it. Sometimes I forget that we are so, 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 so undereducated on, okay, this is how birth control is working. You're not actually getting a period because they'll say, oh yeah, my cycle comes every 28 days. I'm on the 28 day birth control pack. And I'm like, wow, okay, that's not a real period. You are the puppet and the birth control is the puppet master. When it says bleed, you bleed. It's not a real period. And so many times we'll have this conversation and they're like, how come no one told me that? And I'm like, I know. (laughs) Yes. Better late than never. But it's, it's so important that we also know this if you are off birth control, yes, you, you you want to be having a period every 24 to 36 days. Exactly. Like you said, ovulation should be regular, but also be considering, okay, if you are on birth control, when do you want to come off? Do you want to come off? If exactly what you're, you were talking mm-hmm. about before with the conception journey, maybe come off a little earlier if you anticipate or are curious if it's going to take you longer to conceive. It's all about exploring that timeline and being curious about it. And like you said, having these nuanced conversations and actually knowing what the hell is going on having that body literacy. So I want to ask you because there were, there are a few resources on the, the note of accessibility that I would love to hear you say what are your favorites are. 
for example, for me, loved Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler, incredible book. Jolene Brighton, Laura Brighton, these are people that changed my life when it came yeah. to learning about my body. Now, obviously, I'm trying to put out education, but I'm only one person. So can you tell us some resources that people should look into, um, maybe that have been helpful for you or that you really enjoy when it comes to learning about your body, education, accessibility, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I would echo the books that you just said, and I would maybe give the audio option to the 28-ish Days Later podcast produced by the BBC was incredible. It is, you know, 28 episodes. It takes you through like every day of your cycle, basically. Obviously, like different things happen on different days, and there's some days that not a lot happens, but they give you some really, really fundamental, great information about all sorts of different things to do with what is happening on each day of your cycle, what hormones are at play, understanding what is happening in your body. Um, it was phenomenal. And there, each episode is like 10 or 12 minutes. It's extremely digestible and just extremely informative. So if anyone's looking for kind of like a quick hit of education, the 28-ish Days Later podcast is incredible. I love it. I've never heard of that before. So thank you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to yes. go listen. I love it. Yes. I love it. <laughs> Yes. Okay, I want to segue a little bit into talking about the trying to conceive group as well as trying to avoid because we're underserved in general. But like you said, there are people that are hoping for the positive pregnancy test, but there are also a lot of people hoping for the negative pregnancy test. Yes. So can you talk to us a little bit about why it's important when we're talking about trying to avoid pregnancy? For, so for those of us who are not trying to get pregnant right now, why is it important for us to still be thinking about our fertility, even if we are not trying to get pregnant in the near future, or even if we don't want kids at all? Yeah, for sure. I feel like when we're trying to avoid pregnancy, especially when we are not on a form of hormonal birth control, right? So like, let's really be explicit here that we're talking about that because there's really, you can't track, you can't look at your body's hormonal cycle in the same way when you are on synthetic hormones. So when we're talking about trying to avoid pregnancy and working with your natural cycle, it's so important to know where you're at in your cycle, not only from, a, you know, trying to avoid pregnancy standpoint, but also from your mental health and how you live your life. This whole idea of cycle syncing, I think it's a kind of a hot topic right now too, but um, this idea that like we can better live with our cycles if we know what hormonally is happening in our bodies. Love it. Absolutely. Okay. So quality of life in general, also that it pairs just into our hormones when we look at the bird's eye view. And then what about as we move into the phase of, okay, I want to start to think about conception. Maybe I am looking within the next few years. I'd be okay, you know, starting to think if I got pregnant, wouldn't it be to the end of the world for someone trying <laughs> yeah. to conceive and they're finding it very overwhelming. Like you said at the beginning of the episode, when it comes to where to focus their energy, because it, there's supplements, there's non-toxic skincare and products and exercise and cycle tracking and so much. Where do you think we, and you can use personal experience as well as education you've learned. Mm. I would love to hear you hybrid both of those, but where do you feel like we should be focusing our, our energy first and foremost, so that we can be preparing for a healthy pregnancy, carrying pregnancy to term, healthy birth, all that kind of stuff, but without the overwhelm. For sure. I think that 
also to touch on what you said at the beginning there about getting to the point where you're, we call it thinking about thinking about trying <laughs> at Ovary. I love that. Because there is this very specific period where you are. You're just kind of thinking about thinking about it. You're like not really ready to dip your toes yet. And this is the perfect time to start having these conversations with yourself. Start thinking about what would be the next step that I would take if I'm going to think about trying to conceive? And from my own personal experience going through this um, and also in talking to other people. So I've had friends who, you know, quote unquote, pulled the goalie and then the first month got pregnant and felt extremely overwhelmed with the fact that they got pregnant that quickly because they were not mentally ready for that journey to start. And of course, once they're on it, they're on it you like you you we adapt we're good at adapting but at the same time I feel like personally I wouldn't even change anything in my journey if I was going to recommend to anyone I would still say don't start trying until you actually are ready to start trying because as we know there's so much pregnancy anxiety when we're trying to avoid pregnancy and especially when we're trying to make that transition to trying to conceive, there still is a lot of anxiety around being ready. And I think that we're never really going to feel ready. I think every generation before us will always tell that, tell us that. And it's true. You're never going to be ready. And also there are things you can do to support yourself, to educate yourself ahead of time. And so I think that's where it is really important to think about what you can do. So Personally, if you can afford it, or if you can find one that's covered by your provincial health authority, working with a practitioner to help you guide you in the process can be immensely helpful. It's just going to reduce a lot of stress if you find someone you can trust who is going to, again, be able to help educate you on some of these things that through no fault of your own, you just have not experienced education through that again there's those gaps there so if you can work with a practitioner I think that's an excellent way to go and again the thing about trying to conceive is like the magic lies somewhere between it all right as in all those things that matter like lifestyle and diet and supplements and sleep and like, hate to break it to you, but like, it's also not that deep, right? Like, it, it can be and it can't be. The conception truly is just this miracle every time it happens. So there are really so many factors that have to come together perfectly for it, for it to occur. So, you know, kind of take some of the stress off that like, there is a lot you can do. And also, there's so much just that's just left up to chance. And that's one of the hardest things to grapple with, for sure. Absolutely. You, you <laughs> want to feel in control of every little thing. But at the end of the day, there's so much that we have to release. Yes. But I, I hear you and I hear this too with the women that I work with. Then they start to hyper-focus on every little thing they do. And they're like, is this helping or hurting? Is it helping yes. or hurting? Is this the reason why I didn't get <laughs> pregnant this cycle? Is this the reason why? Yes. And it, it's just, it's so overwhelming and it's so it is so stressful. So I, I love what you're saying about hybriding. Yes. Taking care of yourself. If you can work with a practitioner or at the very least, start to educate yourself with these books, with these podcast resources. At the very least, there's so much information out there from good quality people that, yes. that really are, are trying to help. But if you can work with a practitioner, they can say, don't worry about that girl. Don't worry about that. And then yes, <laughs> yes. this is something that we actually need to focus on. That's going to move the needle in a, in a dramatic way because yeah. there's so much that you, yeah, you do not have to worry about, but there is, is a quite a bit too, that's going to really help set you up for success. So I love that yes. you're kind of hitting on that duality. 
Yeah. And I would say like, don't try and do everything all at once, right? Like kind of what you're saying, like pick one or thing, two things to start and then you can add on to those once those feel comfortable. I'm, I'm speaking specifically to like lifestyle changes. You know, if you are drinking regularly as in like midweek, weekends, really trying to think about like, okay, how can I start adapting almost like a pregnancy mindset to now? And thinking about those shifts you can make, but you're not going to be able to like overhaul your diet, overhaul your lifestyle in one month or in one week in order to start trying to conceive, right? Like this is really, these are long-term things and the more you can get ahead of it, the better, but also just don't beat yourself up about it. People, people get pregnant all the time doing not trying to conceive and exactly like (laughs) again like this is like it's so important to keep things in perspective in that way and so if I was going to narrow it down and give you like like very specific things that I would focus on I would say start a prenatal early so the recommendation is being on a prenatal three months prior to trying to conceive but most of us are lacking in a lot of nutrients anyways. So it's never a bad idea to start a prenatal and just get your reserves up. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that once you conceive, your body as it's creating this baby is sucking and pulling from your reserves. So if you don't have those vitamins, minerals, nutrients in reserve, then there's nothing to pull from. So that's really the point of starting a prenatal early is to make sure that you have your body is supplemented and and ready to go. And then I'd say start tracking your fertility. And again, like shameless plug for ovary here, but we do fertility tests. We have ovulation tests that can help you track your fertility, understand when you're ovulating, if you're ovulating, that's a big one. We're going to need that. (laughs) But you can also use, yeah, you're, we're going to need that. That's a very important ingredient. So understanding when you are ovulating, understanding, looking at body signs like cervical mucus, understanding where your natural fertility is coming through prior to trying to conceive can be really helpful too. Because again, all of this can feel like a second full-time job real quick, let me tell you. And it's extremely overwhelming. So with that, I would also say having some support in place for your mental health putting again, maybe some parameters on things saying, okay, for the first three months, I'm just going to start tracking my fertility and taking a prenatal. I'm not even going to put trying to time sex and try to conceive on the table. It's just going to be, we're just going to start looking at our fertility markers and we're going to start taking prenatal. And then after three months, okay, like what needs to happen next? And then again, setting expectations too. So being like, okay, so once we start trying to conceive, how many months would feel good to try? And then when might I kind of need a break? And I think the reality is it you do. It, it, it is a lot. It is a lot to deal with. I don't think people understand until they're in it, which is totally fair. How could you <laughs> understand the impact that this is going to have on your life? Um, that's actually something that uh, Aditi from PILSC, which is the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center, another great resource because the reality is, is that one in four pregnancies end in loss. And so something that she said to me in an interview once was, do not underestimate how this journey is going to impact you. It will impact you. This is an extremely big part of the a transformational time in your life to think that you're going to get out unscathed <laughs> mentally, especially is laughable. It's not going to be the case. So if you understand that this will impact you and how it can impact you, and again, putting in 
some safeguards into place of, okay, if it's, if it's getting a little bit dicey, this is a good time to press pause. And it's okay to press pause. It's okay to take a break and come back to it. Um, we, you know, unfortunately here, there's lots of instances where people's relationships really suffer in the long term when you're trying to conceive. People think it's all sunshines and rainbows and sex and orgasms. And, you know, the truth is when you're trying to make a baby, it is like it is a job. It is work. It is showing up at a certain time to do a certain job. And that's not always convenient. And it can be really, it can be really grating. It can be really hard to continue on that journey. So I think allowing yourself from the beginning, the opportunity to press pause and to really think about what the journey is going to be. Um, total side note, but I also heard a friend talk about this recently with who's going through a divorce and a separation. So they were saying that if they were get, to get married again, they would have a conversation with their partner of like, well, okay, well, what would a separation actually look like Ooh, ahead whoa. of time? Because having those conversations, having those, they're very hard to have. Of course, nobody wants to go in and have those conversations, but it really does dictate how we are going to operate when and if we come to that stage. And so having those conversations with ourselves, with our partners ahead of time in any of these big life events, it's really important to have those conversations and check in and see how are you feeling. It's so refreshing to hear you talk about that because of course I see it privately in the work that I do, but I never see someone really talking about, Hey, here's how to know if you need a break from trying. Cause everyone's like, this is the fun part. Enjoy. You just get to have sex, whatever. And like, no, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. It can feel like exactly like you said work and it can feel very unenjoyable after a certain point and yeah. it can feel stressful. There can be performance anxiety and problems on both sides because it's not feeling fun and sexy and fresh and light anymore no. <laughs> it's like will this work will it not it's a means to an end it feels like and so I just love that you're saying it's okay to take a break it's okay you're not doing anything wrong it's freaking exhausting and it can be and especially when you're months and cycle like multiple cycles into it multiple rounds into it it's okay. If that's what you feel like you need, take a break, come back to it. You're not going to ruin anything. If anything, it's good for your mental health and your physical health. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's, I think that's really the missing piece in a lot of the trying to conceive journeys and, and especially in the preconception stage is really not taking into account how much this is going to affect your mental health and what you can do to support yourself going into it and then while you're in it as well. Okay, we've got some good questions to be asking ourselves, especially if we're thinking about thinking about getting pregnant, but <laughs> yes. also if we are actively trying to get pregnant, which is fantastic. You mentioned a few times, <clears throat> not only at the beginning of the episode, but just as you've been talking about the isolation side and the lack of community. And I... I love the way you articulated it, that you're saying a lot of us don't actually share our fertility journey until we're post either even post first baby or we're at the end. And it's like, Oh, by the way, yeah. I struggled with all these things, but I'm good now, or it worked out for me or it didn't work out for me, but it's, it's always almost in hindsight. There are very few mm -hmm. people that are speaking about the active journey, especially the first time pregnancy or often secondary infertility, yeah. the process of that. Yes. And like we were even talking about before the episode, everyone thinks it's just them until they hear someone else say, oh, by the way, I'm struggling with this. And then you take a deep breath and you're like, oh my God, it's not just me. I thought I was the, the crazy person. I thought my body was broken and hated me. So can you talk to us a little bit about 
how we can start to cultivate a bit of community if we're feeling alone on our fertility journey, on our health and wellness journey, because it can be very isolating in general. Yeah, for sure. I think we can't underestimate how much people want to help and support us. And taking that first step to talk about what you're going through can be really nerve wracking. But I would say most people, whether they're equipped to show up for you or not, they do want to show up for you. And they might actually be able to connect you with somebody who might be a better support to you than they are. But it is important to talk about it openly so that you can find that support. And I think that's the hardest part is just being honest. But if you can just find, you know, one friend or one family member who you can be open with, you might be really surprised in what they're willing to share with you about their own journey or somebody that they knew um, who went through something similar. And that really the prevalence of not having a linear fertility journey, not, you know, getting pregnant the first month or even the first three months or not, like there's so many people who have losses in their conception journeys. I think that idea around miscarriage that has been heavily stigmatized in the past, but with all of this fertility journey talk, it is really about reducing stigma and increasing accessibility. And that can only be done with education and that can only be done with more people talking about it. So even for myself, it's been a journey to to open up and talk about it. It's still scary to even come on this podcast and talk about the you know intimate parts of my life. But at the same time, the bigger part of me wants more people to know about this. And to me, that's more important than, you know, my, my fear or like even my shame. Like, again, like there's so much stigma wrapped up in this, but we need to normalize that. Like, this is normal. It's normal for it to take a while. It's normal to have losses along the way. It's also unfortunately normal that not all people's trying to conceive journeys end in a pregnancy. A lot of people can't conceive that is a very real reality and so again like this like you know just stay positive like why don't you just go on vacation and have a bunch of sex and like all these well-meaning things they're not helpful and so the more that we can be open and tell people what we're actually going through the more they're going to be able to relate to their own experience put you in touch with someone who can and then again these digital communities are also so so supportive and helpful and give you a bit more anonymity I would say that honestly Reddit has been like an incredible resource for me going through this and being like is this normal did this happen to anyone else and just seeing what people post and share on there is really really supportive too obviously take everything with a grain of salt but as far as like from an experiential point of view it's people are very candid and very open about their different experiences on there and I think that's a really beautiful thing but there's so many other you know Instagram communities Facebook communities um, even in your local town and stuff you might be surprised at like what's available to you or even again like um, the pregnancy and infant loss support center has like incredible resources to support you in that and loss doesn't have to look like just miscarriage loss can also look like going through an abortion that's a that's a loss that's a extreme mental journey and physical journey that you're going on um there's so much grief and loss that can come up in that journey outside of just conception and i think that it's really cool that they're there for all of those experiences so yeah there's a lot that's out there you just have to be willing to look for it and I don't know if you can be brave and tell somebody when you share your story, you can honestly save somebody's life when you're not, not, I don't necessarily mean it in the literal sense, but you can save them so much when it comes to 
heartache and feeling those feelings of isolation and honestly depressive episodes and anxiety when you're saying, hey, I don't know how this is going to make you feel, but can I talk to you about something? You know, you can even just put feelers out. And exactly like you said, if you're, you're the one that has the courage and you're stepping forward and you're being brave, even though it's so scary and you don't know if people are going to be like, what the hell are you saying right now? Yes. Or like, that's way too much information. I don't want to know. We, we almost have to put ourselves yeah. out there and be the pioneer. And you just kind of put the feelers on the table. But usually it is met with, oh my God, thank God he said something because I'm really curious about this. Or oh my God, you're experiencing that me too. I didn't know that that was a thing. Or I'm having the exact same questions. We all want to talk about it, but we don't know that everybody else wants to talk about it. So if you can be the person that is brave enough and vulnerable enough to share your experience with, of course, the risk of potentially being rejected and getting let down. But most of the time you'll be surprised that people do want to hear you, especially if they love you and they're close to you. might not be a random room of people, but the people that really love you and are close to you and are your friends and things, it's its such a beautiful weight off your chest and it gives them the opportunity to support you and then open up when maybe they're going through something as well. It's such an amazing duality there. And, and that's something that I actually talked to with my girlfriends quite a bit because I, I have quite a few girlfriends that are trying to conceive. And they're like, I, I know this because I'm not currently trying to conceive. But of course, I'm in this world and I work with a lot of clients that are. And they're like, I know this is this is so much for you or, or you know, I know we can't really go back and forth. And and I, I say to them so many times, you're actually giving me the greatest gift that you can give me as your friend. And that is the opportunity to support you when you're going through something. And just know, I'll have my time as well. I'm going to call you or give you a 40 <laughs> yes. minute voice note saying, hey, SOS, I need your support. But you're giving someone the opportunity to hold space for you. And that is such a gift as a family member, a friend, whoever. It's so, so, yes. so, so special. And I don't think we have enough of that. And we think everybody's life is perfect because social media, don't even get me started. So it's really nice to hear people are struggling and we can support each other through this journey. So that's my two cents on that. <laughs> Yes. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Okay. And then the last question I, I kind of want to ask you before we we round out and you can tell people how they can get in contact with you and, and learn more about ovary and all that stuff. Specific things to you, whether they're mindset changes or mental health resources, physical health resources, practitioners, et cetera, that have really helped you feel empowered and energized throughout your journey. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you haven't felt empowered and energized and happy-go-lucky every day. And if you have- yeah. I want what she's having because I feel like that's not realistic, <laughs> but you can tell me. But how have you tried at the very least to step into that empowerment and and feel motivated and, and moving forward in, in this fertility journey, knowing that it has been over a year at this point? Can you talk to us about what has really kept you going and maybe what you do when you're really not going and you're struggling? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I... I feel like the universe brought me to this position at Ovary. So I've been working at Ovary Reproductive Health Company for over two years now. Again, I did not think that I would ever be in this position where I'm, I don't even want to say struggling to conceive because I think that, again, the journey doesn't, doesn't, we don't have to add this negative connotation to it. We can just release that and say, well, I'm on my journey. I just never assumed I would be on my journey for this long and The beauty is that I have an incredible amount of resources available to me just through my job and through what I am exposed to. So being the person who runs Ovary social media, I do all of our brand partnerships. So I'm lucky that I get to be in contact with incredible resources. I would have never 
probably found out about PILSC, the Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support Center, if I had not interviewed the founder for a series that I was doing through Ovary. Same with you, Vanessa. I probably wouldn't be connected with you if I wasn't going through this. So I feel that I am extremely lucky in my circumstance to be exposed to so much. And so it is really hard for me to think about how much am I actively going to seek versus how much information is just swimming around me at all times just due to the industry and the work that I do. So um, I think, though, that prior to coming into this, I have always seeked out different healthcare practitioners to support me. I think from a young age, it was very apparent to me that our Western system was not that supportive to me understanding my body. And I really took it into my own hands to start to learn that. And so, um, you know, working with naturopathic doctors, working with acupuncturists, with traditional Chinese medicine doctors, understanding and kind of collecting a lot of knowledge along the way that made me open my eyes and say, wait a minute, like, I have a lot of power in this experience in this body in this lifetime. And it is up to me to maximize that and to work with that. And I really can't outsource that to somebody else and expect somebody else to have my best interest. Like, Yes, of course, my best interest at heart, but maybe not the tools and the ability and the resources to be able to support me in the way that I actually need to be supported. So I would just encourage anyone who's on this journey to look for education where you can find it. I think, again, the beauty of the social media internet is that there's so much out there to be found. There's a lot to sift through. So, you know, good luck with that. Um, I, don't, I don't really know what to tell you there. It's definitely like it can be all consuming. And so, again, that's why, like, I know accessibility is a huge thing, but if you can afford to work with a part, uh, practitioner, and again, afford is also different to everybody, right? So maybe it's looking at your finances and saying, I actually, I'm going to put myself first this year. This year, I'm going to dedicate this much of my, you know, income, my spending to working on myself. And I think that as Canadians, especially, it's really hard to think about our finances and healthcare in that regard, because we have this universal healthcare that we don't have to pay for. So then the thought of paying for anything health related feels like, Oh God! Well, I don't want to do that. I like I can just go to my doctor and get that. But That's the reality is, I've never thought about that. But you're so yeah. right. We think it's all it, everything should be covered. Yeah, exactly. And it should be. Don't get me wrong. I am yes. definitely here fighting for all that coverage. But the reality is, it's not. And I think we kind of placate ourselves into thinking like, okay, oh well, like if my GP or if the walk-in clinic didn't tell me something was wrong, then like, I guess I'm all good. I'm just going to sit back and like, let this ride. But letting it ride doesn't necessarily serve you. And so again, thinking about how can I empower myself? How can I take my health into my own hands and prioritize it, right? I think more people are prioritizing lifestyle and health and, you know, you're going to buy a gym membership or you're going to um, buy your AG1, you know, greens that you're going to drink and all those things. So it's like really just shifting our perception of like, what does health and wellness look like? And maybe thinking about how you can support yourself on your journey in that way, because you'd be so surprised at how supportive and how much education you can get from working with a practitioner, either one on one, or even in a group coaching kind of style, depending on obviously what the nature of uh, the work that you're doing is. But I think that 
again, whenever we can have someone sift through the information for us who can answer our questions, it's time is money. It is worth it to pay the money up front and get that support and have the access to professionals who can give you that information. And if all those fails, it's all out there on the internet. You just got to go and find it. And it's, it's there. It's there if you look for it. Exactly. Also, oh my God, what you said at the beginning, I love that so much. That reframe of take away the struggling part, take away the struggling part, even if it's just a mental, a mental reframe. I love that you, you said that and you're like, no, I don't even want to say struggling. Cause then that makes me feel shitty about it. It's like, and it, yeah. it's those little things that make a, such a big difference, even back to your, your point before of what kind of keep you going on, on the journey when it's not going mm-hmm. according to plan. And how do you not just yes. want to curl up in a ball and be like, screw this. I just, I'm not going to even going to try anymore. It's a little reframes of, okay, maybe let's remove the word struggle. Cause that makes me feel like shit. Let me say, I'm just on this yeah. journey longer than I anticipated. That's fine. You know, I just, I love, when you said that, I was like, oh God, I love that. So I love that so much, so much. Anytime I hear, hear that now, I'm going to be like, you're not struggling. You're just on it a little longer than you thought you would be. <laughs> exactly. There's also another term in the fertility, like, especially in um, like the infertility space of like this idea of like trusting to conceive versus trying to conceive. And again, it's just a reframe of like taking the pressure off and thinking that, but yeah, I think again, like saying like, I'm on this extended journey, it's longer than I thought I was. I personally like, so it's also interesting because like the term infertility is defined by more 12 consecutive months or more of trying to conceive. So it's, it's broad and, but I feel like there's so much more nuance there. I personally, like, I mean, yes, I'm over 12 months, but I don't identify as somebody who's dealing with infertility. (laughs) It just, and you know, sure. Someone could diagnose me with that, but at the same time, like that doesn't help me. That doesn't, that doesn't do anything for my mental health or again, like how I feel like I'm relating to this journey. So I think there's a lot of people who talk about infertility. And then there's a lot of people who talk about trying to avoid pregnancy or that preconception, but there just isn't enough people talking about, again, the journey of conception and how different it looks like and the reality of it and the mental health journey. And so, yeah, here I am talking about it live on the we internet. We love you for it. A little bit scary, it. but here we, we are. We <laughs> love you for it. Yes. And just thank you for being so open and honest because I know there are going to be so many people listening that are like, finally, someone who can understand how I'm feeling. We obviously don't wish anyone was was on a journey that they don't necessarily see themselves on or that they're they're frustrated on but it feels so nice to know we're not alone and that that it really is what we need to cultivate more of because like we were even talking about <clears throat> we get so much education and just so much overwhelm from our social media and it feels like everybody has it perfect and it's like look I another baby at 45 on her first cycle wow must be nice you know it's just it's all the highlight reel. And now I just love that you're, you're on. And this is why I I love you so much is just, you're so honest about the reality, but you're also not saying, yeah. And it's over for me. You're, you're saying, you know, this is the process of the journey and I'm doing everything I can. And I'm going to be open about it because I know I'm not the only one. And I apps, I could not love that more. I could not love it more. So (laughs) where can people connect with you if they want to talk to you a little bit more, even if they just kind of want to ask questions or just be like, Hey, I really like this episode. I'm also like on this journey as well. 
can I pick your brain or let's like have a conversation about it, build a sense of community. So how can people contact you or just connect with you in general and ovary as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's start with Ovary. So Ovary is on TikTok. We're on Instagram. Our DMs are always open. It's probably likely me on Instagram or Jackie, our founder. We're both um, very active on there. And honestly, it warms our hearts so much. We often are people's first um, first point of contact when they get a positive on their pregnancy test. We get a lot of people in the DMs who are like, can you confirm that this is positive? And we get to confirm it for them. And anyways, it's just the sweetest. We love having um, dialogue in the DMs. And it's obviously, we understand that this is a sensitive subject for a lot of people. So yeah, that's, it's great to have conversations there. You can also find us online at myovary.ca. So much information there, especially on our blog. We have a ton of different articles. If you're thinking about anything in the fertility space, um, that's a great resource that I will definitely plug. And then, yeah, if you want to have a conversation with me, if you want to like chat in the DMs, you can find me on Instagram as well. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll link everything in the show notes that you just mentioned so people can click away and get easy access. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for not only being vulnerable and open about your own process, but also... I feel like you you gave us a little bit of a dose of empowerment and excitement about being on a journey, even if you're not necessarily on the journey you thought you were going to be on. You just helped us normalize. <laughs> yes. I, I feel seen and heard, even though I'm on a completely different journey. But because like you said, you're here as we all should be for all the journeys, whether you're trying to conceive, trying to avoid, yeah. whether you are on a long fertility journey, whether you got pregnant first try there's so much to celebrate and there's so much to support. And we just have to be here for each other in every aspect of the word. And I know that's sometimes hard, right? If you're on a long fertility journey, it's hard to hear another pregnancy announcement, but I just, I just love the inclusivity of not only ovary as, as a whole, but you as well. And just how beautifully you speak to your personal experience. And I know so many people are going to hear this and just feel so seen and so appreciated. So just thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about it. And, you know, it's, again, it's hard to come out and just say these things. And so I just really appreciate you creating a safe space. And I just have loved having this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Root and Remedy podcast. If you like this episode and you find our information helpful, then it would mean the world to us if you would leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, or somewhere else, just click that rating and review button and leave five stars. That allows us to continue to bring you great guests, free information in the women's health field, and get this podcast out to more people who need it. And of course, if you want to explore any of our courses, our one-on-one services, or any other resources, resources we have, you can find everything at rootandremedywellness.com.